What's happening, guys? Happy Wednesday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. Guys, I hope you enjoyed the fights on Saturday, and I hope you're ready to hear me talk about them. Coming up on today's show, Jose Aldo is making another title run. Mike Perry gets called out, and where the hell does John Jones go from here? That's all coming up later, but first, I want to share with you my immediate thoughts following Derek Lewis versus Surreal Gone. Okay, lot to unpack here. Derek Lewis, Surreal Gone, a star is born. Now, we got to back up to prior to the fight, all right? I understood going into this that Surreal is the better fighter. I understood, as did you guys, that it was going to be a stand-up fight. I got a statistic since I've spoke to you last on Surreal Gone. I was working with Megan Olivia. Megan Olivia throws up this screen on ESPN. She reads it, the very last one. Surreal Gone had spent zero time on bottom. Not one single second. Now, going back in my memory of watching all of his fights, at least his professional ones, that's true. I knew it, but until I saw that written down in front of me, I suppose I did not realize it. So when I tell you that we knew going into this fight it was going to be a stand-up battle, and we acknowledge that Surreal is much better. You kind of see how the fight's going to go, right? I mean, there was a reason that Surreal was over 3-1 to one favorite. Last time I spoke to you guys, he was 3-1 to one favorite. He went off at over 3-1. to one. More money came in on him. Now, I thought Beast had a chance for a couple of reasons. First off, he was 20 pounds bigger. In any other weight class, on any other fight on the card, at any time you've ever watched fighting... If I told you one guy weighed more than the other guy by 20 pounds, you're going to bet on the guy that has 20 pounds. Now, I, I realize for other heavyweights, that isn't true. But if I would have told you that Jose Aldo had 20 pounds on Pedro Munoz, you would have bet on Jose Aldo, just by example. So I thought those 20 pounds could come in handy. The crowd in Houston, get behind Derek. What does that mean? In every other sport, we give a consideration and a respect to home court advantage. In this sport... We don't generally see it that way. It generally ends as a hometown pressure. But I chose, I chose to believe it was going to serve Derek. So, you want to box a brawler? You want to brawl the boxer. Derek Lewis can brawl. But if you look at the kickboxing fight that he had with Curtis Blades, it was very clear that as far as point fighting went, Derek didn't stand much of a chance in there with a professional 27-3 record kickboxer. I'm only setting the stage for you because there was still a way to go with Derek. He still had that size. He still has that power. Now, the good news in Derek and the bad news on Derek is the same news. He's big. When you are a big man, when you weigh 265 pounds, there's some things you just can't do. You just simply can't do it. It's one of the reasons that we don't generally see a heavyweight champion meet the limit. And boxing is guilty of that as well. And I know you can throw some examples where they did. Tyson Furies and the Brock Lesnar's of the world. I get it. Generally speaking, historically speaking, you could find a couple of guys in both categories of boxing and MMA who have ever been close to the actual limit that went on to championships. They're just a little bit slow, but it also stops things that they can do. You're not going to see spinning back kicks from them. You're not going to see flying triangles or arm bars from these kinds of guys. You're not going to see the same kind of scrambles. That's okay. It just limits what Derek can do it also helps to identify what he needs to do to win the fight with Surreal, which is land a big punch on a guy who's used to getting out of the way of big punches. I bring it to you because, as clear as things are right now, it's very clear 
that these two are not close. Going into the fight, there was a way to go with Derek. And before you sell all your stock in Derek or think he didn't belong in there, yes, he did. Derek is a stud. Derek is a great fighter. Derek belonged in there. If you come away from that fight and you don't know that, you're a dick. And I'm just letting you know, you're a jerk. Derek is great. Now, we can acknowledge that Surreal is just much better as a way of serving and praising Surreal, not as a way of insulting Derek. I didn't know he was this good. Did you guys? I did not know he was this good. I watched him knock out Junior Dos Santos on the feet. At one point in Junior's career, Junior was the scariest and the best heavyweight striker in the sport. Definitely the best boxer in the heavyweight division. Surreal beat him so handily and so quickly that Junior was released. Most of us thought Junior's best days were behind him, and Surreal didn't get credit. Now I think as we look back on that, we realize, no, none of that was true about Junior Dos Santos. It's just this guy, Surreal, gone, whoever and whatever a Surreal gone is, goddamn good fighter. Gone goes into the fight with Rosenstrike. Rosenstrike is another straight-up stud, particularly on his feet. So when Gon goes out and gets the best of them, and it's all on their feet, we should have come away with more appreciation for Gon. Instead, we took the opinion of Rosenstrike just wasn't as good as we all were told that he was. Now we see that isn't true. Gon just is. So what do you want to do with Gon? And what do you want to do with him? Dana White went as far as to say at the press conference, Vince McMahon could not have scripted this any better. Talking about Francis Ngannou versus Surreal Gone. He's right. And there is such a wild lesson in this. Right? Whatever the landscape was, and as high of demand as John Jones was in to step in and fight Francis, it's gone. It's now Surreal. That's the lesson. Surreal Gone answered his phone and he said, yes, that's the lesson. Surreal Gone will now be going in there with Francis Ngannou, who is his training partner. You can talk about who the best fighter is. You can talk about who the strongest fighter is. You can talk about who your favorite fighter is. No one can tell you no. They can only offer their opinion. You cannot talk about who the scariest fighter is and say anything other than Francis Ngannou. But Surreal's buddies with him. Surreal trained with him in France back in just kickboxing days. He trains with them now at Randy Couture's gym in MMA. You're just not afraid of your buddies, right? You're just not. You guys can all relate to that. And you'll have buddies that people are scared of. You're just not scared. They're your buddy. They're your friend. You go to lunch with them. You call them on the phone. You send them a dirty text message. He's your friend. I bring it to you. It's relevant. If Surreal Gong is going to go fight Francis Ngannou and one week ago... Would have you even wanted to see that fight? You would have watched it. Would have you wanted to see the fight? Would have you had a huge anticipation? No. You also would not have thought Surreal had a chance. What a difference a day makes. I mean, what an incredible difference a day makes. Don't forget. And these two have to fight. You have to fight or you have to leave the sport. And nobody has ever left a sport to get out of a fight. Not at this level. Not at championship level. It could happen. It's not. These two are going to fight. Francis was asked to participate over the weekend and take on Derek Lewis. Francis said no. He didn't want to fight Derek Lewis. He wasn't ready for Derek Lewis. 
That is admitted and that is open by Francis's team. They used other words. They used words of, we need more time to train. We've been traveling. They used other words. But absolutely what those words meant is we're not ready to fight him. Not under these circumstances. Not under this time. Not on that date. Not right now. Another guy stepped in in those exact same circumstances and stomped Derek out. That's now the guy that Francis has to face. Do you, are, are you guys understanding this? Knowing what you know now, who would you rather fight, Derek Lewis or Surreal Gone? Knowing what you know now. Francis could have had the path of least resistance if he would have just said yes. He would have been the one fighting Derek. However that fight would have gone, it would have gone, but we at least know it would have been an easier fight than Surreal, right? I mean, it's just basic logic. Surreal is apparently a lot better than Derek. So Francis, who would not fight Derek, now has to fight a guy much better than Derek. Is that going to be a problem for the Predator? If you look at it from this perspective, you can see how these cards were misplayed. Your job as a fighter, everything you work for, every interview you do, which is a negotiation, if you don't understand what that means, right? You're just not following the class here. Everything that you do is a negotiation to get to one thing, the biggest paycheck against the easiest opponent. That is what you want to do at all times. Surreal Gong would not have been in championship conversation. They could have used this word training partners things. They could have squashed it before it ever got going. Surreal Gone has only had nine fights. He's only been in MMA since 2018. This is not his time, and we all believed it. He would not have gotten the opportunity. Francis would not be locked in there with Surreal Gone, not for at least another 18 months. This was misplayed and this was mishandled. Francis did not want Derek. He is now going to take on a man who destroyed Derek. It's a great match. I'm sure as hell not counting Francis out. Not at all. I'm just speaking to the mindset and leading into it and following the general rule that you want the most money with the easiest opponent. That went out the door. Was that Francis's decision? Was that the management's decision? It doesn't make a damn bit of difference. Here we are. And Dana is right. You cannot script this any better. This is the fight. This is amazing. And I have been warning you guys for a period of time that things go very quickly. And while nobody has stepped up and emerged at heavyweight yet to replace the enigma in the anticipation of John Jones versus the heavyweight champion, why nobody had done it yet, they're coming. And while Surreal just did it, I'm telling you, there's five more guys. They're already signed. They're already in the organization. Not there somewhere in the world and they're waiting to be discovered. They're here now. They haven't got recognized, but they will. And if you think ever within your career you're going to wait, that you're going to stall as a tactic to benefit your career, be reminded... The only thing stalling and waiting and saying no to an opportunity does is make you unemployed. So now that we know Surreal Gone and Francis Ngannou will fight for the heavyweight title, the question of course now becomes, where does the division go from here? So let's take a look at heavyweight as a whole, right? Because there's a lot of moving parts. I mean, if anybody just got screwed here, it's John Jones. Screwed isn't the right word. 
screwed us at the right. But John Jones is coming out on social media, and boy, he lo he loves lifting those weights up. Well, he's going to have a lot more time to do it. Surreal is going to fight Francis. I submit for you, while the UFC is going to want to do that in a hurry. A hurry, by the way, just means a standard amount of time, which is around five months. A real fast fight could be put together in four. I don't mean they're trying to roll it out next week, but they're going to want to get this going, right? We got some real momentum here. Let's get this going. Dana's got some dates and some pay-per-views. He's going to want to get this going. The other piece of this puzzle is France. The UFC wants to go to France. The UFC just signed a linear television rights deal in the country of France. Hasn't been there this whole time. They just got it done. You get pay-per-view. You get digital content. This is different. They're going to start blowing up in France. They want to make their move. Is it worth kicking the can, kick it to 2022 to find the right deal and the right venue? Because France is reopening. So that opportunity definitely is there. If that happens, and it might be the case, it's going to be looked at for sure. If that's the option that we go with and it kicks the can to 2022, look what that does for Jones and Stipe. Right? All the rest of the boys, too. The Curtis Blades, I mean, you, you you name them. All of the boys that would like to get a world championship fight, and there's never been more opportunity at heavyweight because now there's two champions. Right, Pull those guys away in any, any way you want. Don't let any rules apply to you if you're within the heavyweight division. While Chael's over here telling you that the interim champion has to fight the undisputed champion or is, that the interim champion is going to fight the undisputed champion, doesn't have to be that way. Find a way. Pull one of them out. Challenge Surreal for the interim championship. Nothing says you can't do that. Say to hell with Surreal, get rid of him, go after Francis for the Undisputed Championship. If anything happens to either one of those boys, I would argue don't let it hold up the belts. There's two of them now. Those guys can't figure it out together. Pull them apart. But what do you do if you're John? I don't know the answer to that. I follow the golden rule of put myself in his shoes. How would I act? John is being offered, and this offer is still good. You come in, your first time, you can fight for a belt. John is now being offered Stipe Miocic, which would not be for a belt. So it's very clear that John isn't being pressured. John is given a couple of options. And that's very relevant, because while the rest of us will go, well, no, I, I want the championship opportunity, John's a competitor, and John might look at it and go, you know what, I've been very hesitant to go up to heavyweight to start with. I've been very disciplined to put on size. I've now been removed for a period of time. Getting my feet wet in there with somebody might be a positive. That's a stretch. I don't know that John's mind's work that way, but, but it's on the table. It might. There's a reason they're talking about Jones and Stipe. And the reason that Stipe has already accepted the fight, which isn't because he's got anything with John Jones where he wants to go test himself. Stipe doesn't want to sit. He wants to get the world championship back. So it's not just a matter of having the power of the pin if you've got Stipe's mindset. It's not just having the power of the pin and somebody to give you a world title opportunity and you take on either Surreal or Francis. It's not. You want to make sure you're prepared when you get there. It's why Stipe goes to practice every day. It's why he's focused on his diet, on his lifting, on his nutrition. But it's also a reason any reasonable competitor, and Stipe most certainly is, would then want to go and get a competition in. That would bring you closer. That's a real athlete's mindset. That's the reason that Stipe accepted that. With John Jones not showing an interest in fighting Stipe, it makes me wonder 
who John actually will agree to fight. I'll talk about that in a moment, but first, I want to tell you about our show's new sponsor, Cuts. So I recently lost about 20 pounds. I'd like to lose a few more, but I'm feeling very proud of myself right now. And with all the weight loss, I've had to look into some new wardrobe. Guys, Cuts Clothing came across my path and I loved what I saw. It's being called the Tesla of t-shirts. Each piece is designed with really cool fabric called Pika. It's a soft, wrinkle-resistant material that comes in handy for me when I'm running around with the family, wrestling with my kids, and then I gotta be ready to pop in front of the camera. One of my favorites that I ordered is the Henley with the classic hem. It's really comfortable, but it's fitted in all the right places. Cuts allows you to pick the collar and hem cut you prefer to add some variety to your wardrobe while still keeping a timeless look. I didn't realize it at the time, but I have since heard that Tim Tebow, Patrick Mahomes, and the great Mariano Rivera frequently wear these tees. Now they are in great company. This month marks the Cuts 5 anniversary, and they're doing it big with two collection drops a product launch, and a week-long special event. Join the celebration and get 15% off site-wide by going to cutsclothing.com slash That's cutsclothing.com slash for 15% off and access to anniversary events all month long. Coach Winklejohn, you guys know who that is. You'll hear about Greg Jackson all the time. Jackson Wink. Coach Winklejohn is the wink of Jackson Wink. He's one of the original coaches at that factory. I mean, it's an MMA who's who out there in Albuquerque. But every time you hear about uh, Coach Greg, there's also Coach Wink. Okay, so Coach Wink has weighed in on John Jones a number of times. And through the revolving door that has been John Jones's coaching staff, Coach Wink is a constant. He's a great guy to listen to if you're curious about information on John Jones because Coach Wink usually has it. I don't believe Coach Wink is an influencer. I don't think that John comes to Coach for his opinion and that the weight of what Coach Wink says, career-wise, factors into what John is going to do. I think... Coach Wink purely stays in the box of trainer. Throw the left hand, fall it with the right, turn your hip over on that kick, repeat, that type stuff, which is great. I'm only sharing with you, it is relevant to the story to be able to identify who are the influencers to John. And it would be very unique to be a coach and a trainer and not be that influencer. I couldn't imagine anybody I spent more time with MMA related than Clayton Hires. But I couldn't imagine anybody that I shared more with and whose opinion I would care about more than the guy who has to get me ready to do it. If I ask coach, can I deal with so-and-so, and he says yes, and it's Clayton's job to make sure that I can deal with... Now I know he's sincere. We're doing this together. Just one of those things where very common would be that your trainer had a level of influence, but I don't know that Coach Wink does that. I don't know if he shares his opinion. Or if he does, if John listens to it, only by various things that I've uh, I've heard. Coach Wink was very big at the time that John Jones and Francis, when that was a real topic, okay? That would have been, I believe, if you have all the power, you can wave a magic wand over MMA. I believe 
that that would have been the biggest match that the sport could possibly make. And if you're playing this, I've got all the power, and it's just a dream fight anyway, that would have been competitive with St. Pierre versus Khabib. But by the time that we were hearing about Jones versus Francis, Jones had actually left the division. Francis actually captured the title. It was this perfect storm. And I think if I were to ask you guys, you got to go back in time. you got to remember how you thought back then, not right now. But I think I'm right. It, Jones versus Francis, even in a dream scenario, would have been the biggest fight that you could put together. We don't have it anymore, but I remember that time where Coach Wink was speaking out, and he said something along the lines of, you could pay them both $50 million and still make a bunch of money. I just remember hearing him say that. Because I remember storing away saying, okay, we don't have a critical thinker here. Like that, that is not how a business presentation would possibly be done. We would have to have something that you could actually turn to in terms of numbers to get you to the projection to support the claim that you just made. And moreover, it's got to be sustainable. It can't be for one night only. So I'm going to have a multi-fight contract with this guy that down the road, regardless of the landscape, I still need to honor. I just stored it away. I just remember hearing him say it, and I tucked it away because Coach Wink has now come out and said that he could see John in the light heavyweight division. That he could see John coming back, and Coach Wink even juxtaposed this with Izzy Adesanya. Well, John doesn't want to fight Izzy anymore because Izzy's no longer the man. It would be Blahovich. I share this because if it was anybody else, I could come out and tell you that John Jones is looking to go down and take on Jan Blahovich. If any other trainer anywhere spoke up and shared something like this with the media about his pupil... It's because that's the direction they're turning their cannon and going. I just think, I think Coach Wink is just purely, I'm going to train you. And he's awesome at it. And there's no part of this that's a slide to Coach Wink. He is awesome at what he does. It's just one of these situations where generally if a trainer was to speak up and tell you that his guy, in this case John Jones, is looking at Jan Blahovich, that is the first of the announcement that John is going back to 205 pounds, I would offer that you take this with caution when Coach Wink says it. I think he is just sharing his thoughts and or opinions. Perhaps Coach Wink is assessing his athlete who wanted to get to about 250 pounds, pull some of the fat off, weigh 240, look the right way but weigh 240. Perhaps that experiment hasn't gone as well. And I'll tell you, I was might have been the first to call that. It's very hard to gain weight. Very, very hard to gain weight, particularly good weight. Anybody that puts on wants to gain muscle. You can't control within your body, your diet and or exercise, that you're only going to gain muscle. So you will just put on weight as a whole. You will consume massive amounts of calories. Let's say you got to a 250. Now you can go on a diet and pull that fat off, and what you have left over is the good gains. But I share it with you because gaining weight is tough, guys. I'm personalizing this too. I used to lose weight for my career. I started my freshman year at 115 pounds. And I swear to goodness, 115 is what cost me my season, not my opponents. But it got to the point where going into the state tournament, I had one goal, and it was to make weight. I remember thinking that, and I remember also knowing, even at 14 years old as a freshman, this isn't good. So I don't learn the lesson. I come back my sophomore year. I cut all the way down to 130 pounds. And it wasn't the competition that could stop me. It was that damn scale. Say, I'm never going to do this again. Fast forward, juniorship, but now I'm in my senior year, I'm at 185 pounds. I weigh soaking wet 174, but I'm learning the lesson and I am never cutting weight again. The closest weight down was 172, screw it. Two pounds, I promised myself I would never cut weight again. So then I have to try to gain weight. 
And I just remember, I mean, my mother would make me chicken fried steaks every morning, and there was something called Ensure. And you guys will see these Ensures are still out there, but they're really good to get vitamins and nutrients. They're good in protein. You rip them open and drink them. I used to drink 12 of those things a day. So I was 174 pounds. I'm trying to gain weight to get 185. Now, I got to train two and three times a day because that was my practice schedule. I'm eating all of my mother's chicken fried steaks and gravy. I'm pounding these insurers. And when the whole experiment is over, I've lost a pound and I'm 173. I, I would have pound the wrong direction. I just share with you, it is so hard to gain weight. And then you have the narcissist side of it, right? I could personalize that too. If I'm gaining weight, I'm standing in the mirror after every shower and I'm looking at myself and I'm turning sideways when nobody's watching. I'm seeing where the weight goes. So John's going to have that factor too. Right, John's a good-looking guy. He's a long, lean, athletic-looking guy. He's not going to want to just put some of that size on. So I've always been interested in this experiment. I'm sharing with you based on very limited information. I have come to the conclusion that Coach Wink, who's a masterful trainer, is just training. I have come to the conclusion that Coach Wink, who would have a level influence over John, purely out of respect, because John does respect him, I don't think Coach Wink shares his opinion. I don't think he tries to steer John's career. So I don't know that when Coach Winks tells us that he could see John, his own pupil, back down at 205 pounds, I don't think he's coming to us with a level of pre-knowledge. I think he was just sharing a thought. I'm guessing that he came to that thought because perhaps the experiment of the weight gain with John Jones whether John just wanted to put on good weight, not understanding you have to put on both kinds of weight and then take it off and you look in the mirror and you don't like the guy you're going to see for two or three months. I'm putting all of these things together and I'm making a guess. I'm making a guess, but I've been in his spot to some degree. Been in John's spot exactly, just not with all of the success that John had, right? Don't forget when you're dealing with John Jones. You're dealing with a guy who was so successful, he gave a world title away. I could never imagine that, but I think that you guys are with me. We could never relate to, to having so many victories that we would give the recognition of the greatest guy on earth. We would just hand it. We would just give it away. But that's where you're at with John. Very unique. So John at 205 pounds versus Blahovich, fine. No problem. John versus Francis at the time that Francis captured the belt, right? We're never going to have that time back. That would be a very big fight and you could make the fight. It will never be as big of a fight as it could have been. And the same thing goes for John versus Adesanya. Had Adesanya never lost to Blahovich, and whether Izzy beat him or they just didn't do the match, John versus Izzy and the massiveness that would have been that fight and the capturing of the creativities of the viewer, us, you can never return to it. You will never return to it. And it's a really tough spot to look back and have regrets and what could have been. But it's life. And the smart one and the keys is that once that happens, you learn from it. It's now happened to John twice. He didn't do the Adesanya fight. Should have learned from that. Didn't do the Francis fight. Should have learned from that. He can run it back and get on the dock with Adesanya right now. I'm sure there's a way to do it. I'm sure he can get on the dock with Engano. These are good nights of business. They're not as good. A lot of things have to come together. Dana White was at a press conference post Connor Floyd. And so many members of the media were asking Dana, as the head of the UFC, if this is a road he's going to continue to explore. 
which is the crossover match of one of his champions against one of the greats from the boxing world? And Dana said no. Dana said, but you have to understand, it's not because I'm against doing it. It's just something that I don't believe in sustainability-wise. You had to have a lot of things come together for these massive fights. A lot of it is not just Connor and Floyd. It's Connor as the two-division sitting champion versus Floyd. Any one piece of that story goes away, so does the mystique of the fight. Dana made this very clear, and he said it very simply. But I sorted away and I remembered it. And I'm bringing it back to you guys. Timing is everything in the fight game. So many things have to come together. Surreal Gong versus Francis Ngannou two weeks ago doesn't work. It doesn't work. We could do it. We could sell a bunch of tickets for it. Now it is must-see. It is massive. Why? Because of the timing, because of the story, because of the way things that have developed. And as much as I'm sure that you're convinced that Francis and Surreal, yes, Chael, you're selling me a Ferrari. I got it. Yeah, I know. I'm stating the obvious. What I'm trying to get you to draw a bridge to is if Surreal and Francis works. It works. We've all agreed that works. Absolutely. Must see. Excited. Okay. They're not going to fight for four more years. Well, you just said you loved it. What don't you like about it? It's going to be in the same weight class. It's going to be under the same rules. It's going to be the same two guys in that same damn octagon. Why do you care if it's in four years? Well, now what I've done is I've got a good job of supporting what Dana made clear after Connor and Mayweather. Things have to come together in the right time to have a mega fight. John versus Blahovich, sure, go ahead and do it. It's fine. It's not going to be any bigger a year from now. It's not even bigger right now than it would have been 12 months ago. It's a good fight. Let's see it. Get the two top guys in there and they'll fight. We'll give them a belt at the end. It's a good fight. There's nothing massive on it, and there's never going to be. And as these opportunities go by, and as you miss them, I'll give you one more final example. Dominic Cruz, the greatest 135-pounder the world's ever seen. Demetrius Johnson, the greatest 125-pounder the world has ever seen. Those two fought. Are you even aware of that? Do you guys even know what I just said to you? That would have been a super fight, a mega fight. They would break into Sports Center to make the announcement that that fight was going to happen at certain points in their career. Those two fought before Demetrius was Demetrius, before Dominic was Dominic. I think it was in the WEC. It could have been in the UFC, but I think it was the WEC. I saw the fight. I can't even remember the organization. They just fought at the wrong time. That's all it was. They just happened to fight at the wrong time. What I'm saying to you should be completely obvious, but for some people that miss it, you got to get the fights you can get when you can get them. you got to win the fights you can win when you can win them. You all have a window. John's looks to be a bigger window than most. Okay, fine. He's still in that same vortex. And now Francis is going through it. Francis, who was on the cusp of losing his championship to an opponent that he never should have been facing. If Francis knew Surreal was the guy, if, I'm using the word if, but these two train together. They have an opinion of who, who can win that fight. Everybody that ever watched it and all the trainers and coaches and people running the cameras in the room have an idea of who could win the fight. If, if Surreal is the guy, Francis had the ability to avoid him while staying his friend. Francis never had to stab him in the back. He never had to take an opportunity from him. He could have very come forward, said, I support this guy. He's my teammate. Francis could have then turned to Surreal and said, Surreal, as a matter of fact, will you corner me for this fight? Get Surreal involved. It's the whole reason Daniel Cormier never fought Cain Velasquez. 
not just because they were teammates and friends, but Cain went a step further and put Daniel in his corner, gave Daniel a piece to do it. Now, Daniel has a loyalty and obligation to Cain of a whole nother level. And not only did they never fight and Daniel take Cain's belt away or even try to take his belt away, Daniel changed his own life, went down to 205 pounds, fledged his own career, waited till Cain left the sport, moved on up to heavyweight and showed us what he can do. I bring it to you because there's ways that they could have done this. You have to do a good idea of identifying who are the guys that I want to stay away from. Who are the guys that are most likely to take my dreams away? You then got to start planning your strategies and your moves. John Jones versus Adesanya was massive. It's not massive anymore. John versus Francis was massive. It's not massive anymore. So if you're going to go out and you're going to do the work anyway, and you're going to do it against the same guy anyway, you want to try to get as much attention as you possibly can. Makes sense. It could happen to you once. If you don't learn the lesson, it happens a second time. Who really is to blame? That's enough about the heavyweight division because now I want to focus on another division that had the spotlight on Saturday night and that's the 135 pounders. Jose Aldo called out TJ Dillashaw. Now that matters in many ways. Jose Aldo right now in his career is representing everything that I preach to you guys, everything that I tell you guys that I love and that I look for in an athlete, which is this, he wants to compete. He has a goal and he wants to compete. He's not afraid to go out there and earn what it is he wants. Now we have evidence of this in many different forms. Jose Aldo dropping down to 135 pounds after being a two-time champion of the world, being the only WEC and UFC champion at featherweight. Him dropping down, changing his lifestyle, changing his physiology. Do you understand what it's like when you have no fat on the bone to get 10 pounds off while maintaining your top status, while working out two times a day, taking in less calories, burning more, trying to sleep is hard, enjoying a day, enjoying a day off, enjoying a holiday. They're more difficult. You have to do that because you're dedicated and you want something. So we have evidence from Jose Aldo. Him jumping in there against anybody at any time to try to get himself closer to his goal. The way that he finished the fight. The way Jose Aldo fought in the third round of this fight. Okay, over the weekend with Munoz. Is very telling. Jose Aldo was trying to put Munoz away. Jose Aldo was up two rounds to none. And he was cruising in the third round. It wasn't enough. He was greedy. He was hungry. He wanted to finish the fight. He was fighting the third round as though he was losing the contest. Now, I only bring that to you because the greats, you don't want to watch for how they start a fight. And it really doesn't matter what happened in the fight. The greats will finish the fight the right way. I don't mean get your opponent out of the way, okay? A tough guy will go hard the whole time no matter what the score is. You could be ahead by 100. You could be down by 100. A tough guy is coming after you either way. This is what Jose Aldo did. Now hold that thought because couple it in with the call out of TJ Dillashaw. That is main event worthy. That is newsworthy. That will get you announced. They will break into Sports Center and announce that if that fight gets done. There would be absolutely no way around a number one contendership spot. Now, TJ, does the calendar work out? 
Does the calendar work out? We know from TJ Dillashaw that he hurt his right knee. We know that he underwent already some kind of a surgical repair, and we're told he's going to be out for six months. I think that's a very good guess. That six months is relevant, though, because TJ is now the number one contender. That's what it represented when he defeated Sandhagen. But you got to hold that thought, right? Because you got a chessboard. you got to have a lot of pieces on there. We have Peter Young going to take on Aljo. What happens after that fight? Are we guaranteed to move on? Because Jan's the favorite in that. So if Jan beats Aldo, they're now one apiece. You're telling me Aljo doesn't get a shot at a trilogy? Jan's not going to give Aljo the same respect that Aljo's showing Jan. I mean, it only bring for you because it could delay the division. And what if it does? Then TJ's sitting around with his number one contender, ace up his, uh, right, the card up his sleeve. He can't play it. He cannot play it. So he can sit on his ass. He's already been out two and a half years. Now he's going to be out another half a year. Should TJ reclaim the championship, he will be the oldest champion south of 170 pounds in history. Point being, TJ doesn't have time to wait. This is what TJ does for a living. This is his job. This job is a little bit unique in that you must show up for work to get a paycheck. So TJ might be looking for something else to do, as big of a risk as it is. But you want to talk about super fights, that's champion versus champion. You want to talk about super fights, that's interim champion versus undisputed champion. You want to talk about super fights, you take two former champions. It is the closest thing you can get. It is the absolute next best thing as you can get to Hogan and Warrior walking out there both with a belt over their shoulder, right? You take two former champions, not to mention from a different era, that refuse to accept that and they want their due in this era. That's a mega fight. I don't need to sell you on Dillashaw and Aldo. I'm actually attempting to take you in a different direction, which is this. There really was no reasonable road to get Jose Aldo back to a title fight. You can only have so many opportunities. Right? Can we agree on that? At least historically speaking, you only have so many times you get to fire that revolver before you had bullets. There is many ways, and it would largely have to do, a lot of things have to come together. But two weeks ago, we would have said there was no way. We are now saying, well, some things have to come together. But there is a clear path for Aldo to return to a championship match and possibly a championship. Aldo versus Jan is a very different analysis from me. Very different than Jose Aldo versus Sterling. So it does matter who comes out of that. If Sterling emerges... That would also be parody. That would be a fresh match. Aldo versus Jan, being we've already seen it once, being as it wasn't overly competitive, we're not going to see that for a period of time. But you start to get the right players in. You can start to get the right pieces in order. Jose Aldo did something very smart. I believe it was on accident. I don't think he has a complete command of the English language. In fact, I can assure for you he does not. So I think that this was on accident. But even on accident, it was great. He called out TJ said, hopefully we can do it by December. So now we've got the who and we've got the when. We already know the why for number uh, one contendership, but he used an interesting word. Aldo said, this is what I expect to happen. Now in the world of sales, that would be called the presumed sale. A car salesman will always do this. He will talk to you and he'll say, what color do you want your car? He will say, when do you want to pick it up? Things like that, even though you haven't even agreed to buy it and haven't signed one piece of paperwork. It's a presumed sale. It will either get you what you want or it's going to turn somebody off and they're going to go. But now as the salesman, you know your answer. Do I have a customer here or don't I? It's called a presumed sale. 
Jose Aldo applied it to the fight game by saying, this is what I expect to happen. It's a very interesting word, but it also changed the narrative and it changed the call out and it changed the audience's perception. I think it was on accident. I think it was unintentionally a great thing to do. But if he was to fight TJ Dillashaw, understanding what would be on the line, which is a number one contendership, understanding that in a worst case scenario, that is going to be a co-main event fight. Should be relevant. Are they going to fight championship rounds or are they going to fight standard rounds? That would very much put him, Jose Aldo, in a position of a very clear path back to a title opportunity, which is just something. The only thing I'm offering for you is it's something you couldn't have said two weeks ago. A great fighter that understands the business will never quit throwing punches and he will never quit talking. Now, I know what all of you are thinking. I just spent the entire show asking and answering questions about guys like Francis, Gone, Aldo, Stipe, etc. But the question I haven't asked, where does Kevin Lee fit into all this? Alright guys, Kevin Lee supposed to fight, his opponent pulls out. And don't forget, Kevin's been out for a meaningful period of time. Had the knee injury. The only time you could see Kevin Lee is over in Bellator when he's cornering little brother who, by the way, did a great job. Kevin Lee comes back. Everything's going to be cool in the gang. He's moved up to 170 pounds. I'm in for that. And a lot of times when guys suffer an injury and they come back at a heavier weight class, it's because they gained weight because of their inactivity. That's not the case with Kevin Lee. I'm just sharing that with you. He was a big 55-pounder from Jump Street. I don't think he should have been at 55. I think he should have been a 70-pounder. I think he's going to compete better there. I think he's going to train better there. And I think his life in general is going to be better at 170 pounds. All right, store that thought because his opponent pulled out. His opponent got sick, he got hurt, but Kevin is laser-focused on that day, getting his shape, getting his weight, getting everything ready to go. And Kevin Lee, who's never really cared about who the opponent is, right? He's a legit tough guy, has now said, bring in Mike Perry. Great. Love that fight. Hold the thought. First off, Perry's still with the UFC. Okay, good news for Perry. Perry then responded to Kevin Lee, and Perry said the following. He said, make no mistake, I'm down for the fight, but I've agreed to give full control to my team. My trainer told me if I fought everybody who called me out, I would be fighting every weekend. Let's see what happens, In quote. Now, biggest thing I took from that is when he said, my trainer. When Mike Perry said, my team. And the reason that stood out and jumped off the page for me is Perry, when things got a little bit ugly, and he even had victory while ugly. Mickey Gall comes to mind. But when Perry had no team, when he was training himself, when he stuck his girlfriend, possibly now his fiance, into his corner, and we all thought that was a gag and a joke until the camera started rolling and she was the only corner man. It wasn't as though she was there with the two other guys that he had the right, per the rules of the, the, the commission, to stick in his corner. He only used her. So we start looking around. All the training video is her holding mitts for him. Okay, what part is the showman here? What part is the reality? I really don't have that answer, but Perry was pretty outspoken to say I don't have a team, and now he's responded to Kevin Lee talking about team and talking about my trainer. Those are positives. Those are real positives. And I think I speak for all of us, right? I can give Mike Perry a hard time. Oh, Mike Perry's still in the UFC. I could take my little shots at him. But we're fans, aren't we? I mean, Mike Perry brings something to the table. Mike Perry saved a turtle one time on Instagram. I rewatched it 11 times. Not a word was spoken. 
He's driving down a busy road. He pulls his car over. He sees Mr. Turtle. He picks up Mr. Turtle. He carries them over an embankment, over a fenced area. He sets him down and lets Mr. Turtle go live his life. That's interesting to me. Aside from the fact that Mike Perry saved a living creature, which is noble of him, Perry can make anything interesting. Perry's walkouts are the best. Perry's interviews are the best. Perry in between, I mean, right? Perry has something going on. And he's got some massive raw potential. He's naturally powerful, and he's naturally good at finding the target. That's not just because he had an amateur boxing background. Contrary to what you might believe, no, he's a natural. Guys have a natural power. They have a natural ability to find a moving target. He has those. So if you can grab it, you can inspire him, you could motivate him, you could help to get his conditioning up, help for him to have a very specific strategy before he goes in, right? That's all that your team and your coach and your trainer does. But if you don't have that, it's a massive piece missing. How badly do you want to sit down and have to analyze an opponent? I mean, you start watching an opponent who's on a good roll, all you're going to see and the only thing you're going to go to bed remembering is, is how good that guy looked. Why do I want to watch my opponent's highlight reels? Let the coach do it. And then trust the coach. Have the coach come in and show you whether you lead with a jab or you lead with a cross. Let him break that down. Let him break down what are your opponent's tendencies for setting you up before he closes the distance and tries to drag this thing down to the canvas. Let him do it. So the pack that Perry is now giving responses to Kevin Lee about having a team and coaches, if you're a Perry fan, this is really great news. If you're a Kevin Lee fan, you're reminded why. Why you like him in the first place. Because when he agrees to something on a certain date, under a certain rule set, in a certain weight class, he follows through. And right now he's trying to follow through. Let's help him. If you like the idea of Perry, Kevin Lee, all I ask, go on social media and make your voice heard. That's simple. All right, guys, that's it for today's show. If you enjoyed it, please head over to Apple Podcasts, find your welcome, and leave us a review. And if you haven't already done so, please subscribe to my YouTube channel and then come back on Friday for a new episode. Simple as that. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome. <laughs>